So hello everyone, I am Anj Patel and I am in pain which is situated in Maharashtra. So today I am going to read a book known as Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. This book was written by J.K. Rowling. This book has 17 chapters. So let's begin. Chapter 1. The Boy Who Lives Mr. and Mrs. Dusty of number 4, Private Drive, were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people you expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr. Dursley was a director of a firm called Grunnings, which made trills. He was a big, beefy man with hardly any neck. All through, he did not have a very large mouth sick. Mrs. Dursley was a thin and blonde and had nearly twice the usual amount of neck, which came in very useful as she spent so much of her time training over the garden fences, spying on her neighbors. The Dursleys had a small son called Daddy, and in their opinion, there was no finer boy in anywhere. The Dursleys had everything they wanted, but they also had a secret, and their greatest fear was that somebody would discover it. They didn't think that they could bear it if anyone find out about the Potters, Mrs. Potter and Mrs. Dursley's sister, but they had, hadn't met for several years. In fact, Mrs. Dursley pretended she didn't have a sister because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were an undurslish as it was possible to be. The Dursley shuddered to think what neighbors would say if the Potters arrived in the street. The Dursleys knew that the Potters had a small son too, but they had never seen him. This boy was another good reason for keeping Potters away. They didn't want Dudley missing with a child like that. When M- Mr. and Mrs. Dursley woke up on the dull grey Tuesday, our story starts. There was nothing about the cloudy sky outside to suggest that the strange and mysterious things would soon be happening all over the country. Mr. Dursley hummed as he picked out his most boring tie for war, and Mrs. Dursley gossiped away happily as she wrestled a screaming Dudley into his high chair. None of them noticed a large shiny owl flutter past the window. At half past eight, Mr. Dursley picked up his briefcase, pecked Mrs. Dursley on the cheek and tried to kiss Dudley goodbye but missed because Dudley was now having a tantrum and throwing his cereals at the walls. Little teak chortled Mr. Dursley as he left the house. He got into his car and back out of number four's drive. It was on the corner of the street that he noticed the first sign of something peculiar, a cat reading a map. For a second, Mr. Dursley didn't realize what he had seen. Then he jerked his head around to look at. There was a tabby cat standing on the corner of the private drive, but there was, wasn't a map in the sight. What could he have been thinking of? It must have been a trick of light. Mr. Dursley blinked and stared at the cat. It stared back. As Mr. Dursley drove around the corner and up the road, he watched the cat in his mirror. It was now reading the sign that private drive. No looking at the sign. Cats couldn't read map or sign. 
Dursleys. Mr. Dursley gave himself a little shake and put the cat out of his mind. As he drove towards town, he thought of nothing except a large order of drinks he was hoping to get that day. But on the edge of town, Prince was driven out of his mind by something else. As he sat in usual morning traffic jam, he couldn't help noticing that there were that there seemed to be a lot of strangely dressed people about. People in cloaks. Mr. Dursley couldn't bear people who dressed in funny clothes. The get-ups you saw on young people. He supposed this was some new stupid fashion. He drummed his finger on the steering wheel and his eye felt on a huddle of these weirdos standing quite close by. They were whispering excitedly together. Mr. Dursley was enraged to see that the couple of them weren't hearing at all. Why that man had to be older than he was. He was wearing an emerald green cloak. The nerve of him. But then it struck Mr. Dursley that this was probably some silly stunt. These people were obviously collecting for something. Yes, that would be it. The traffic moved on. On a few minutes later, Mr. Dursley arrived in the running car park. His mind back on the drills. Mr. Dursley sat, always sat with his back to the window in his office on the ninth floor. If he hadn't, he might have found it harder to concentrate on drills that morning. He didn't see the owls swooping past in the broad ray light. Two people down in the street, they did. They pounded and gazed open mouthed as the owl after owl sped overhead. Most of them had never seen an owl even at night time. Mr. Dursley, however, had a perfect owl-free morning. He held out five different people. He made several important telephone calls and shouted a bit more. He was in very good mood until lunchtime when he thought he'd stretch his leg and walk across the road to buy himself a bun from the breakers opposite. He forgot all the people in the close until he passed a group of them next to the beggars. He, he eyed on them angrily as he passed. He didn't know why, but they made him uneasy. The slot were whispering excitedly too, and he couldn't see a single collecting tin. It was on his way back past them, clutching a large donut in back, that he caught a few words of what they were saying. That's Potter, that's right, that's what I heard. Yes, Jason, hey! Mr. Dursley stopped dead. Fear flooded him. He looked back at whispers as he had wanted to say something to them but thought better of it. He dashed back across the road, hurried up to his office, snapped at his secretary not to disturb him, seized his telephone and had almost finished dialing his phone number when he changed his mind. He put the receiver back down and he stroked his mouthing, thinking no, he was being stupid. Potter wasn't an unusual name. He was sure there were a lot of people called Potter and who had a son called Harry. Come to think of it, he wasn't even sure his nephew was called Harry. He never even seen the boy. It might have been Harvey or Harold. There's no point in worrying Mrs. Dursley. She always got upset at the name mention of her sister. He didn't blame if he had a sister like that. But all the same, those people in the clothes. He found it a lot harder to concentrate on drills that afternoon. And when he left the building at 5 o'clock, he was still worried so that he walked straight into someone just outside the
Sorry, he grunted as the tiny old man stumbled and almost fell. It was a few seconds later before Mr. Dursley realized that the man was wearing a violet cloak. He didn't seem at the upset at being almost knocked to the ground. On the contrary, his face split into a wide smile and he said in a squeaky voice, squeaky voice that made passers-by stay, Don't be worried, sir. My dear sir, for nothing could upset me today. Rejoice for you know who has honored last. Even the muggles like yourself should be celebrating this happy, happy day. And the old man hugged Mr. Dursley around the middle and walked off. Mr. Dursley stood suited to the spot. He had been hugged by a complete stranger. He also thought he had been called a muggle, whatever that was. He was rattled. He hurried to his car and set off home. Hoping he was imagining things which he had never hoped before because he didn't approve of imagination. As he pulled into a driveway of number four, the first thing he saw and it did didn't improve his mood. Was that tabby cat he spotted that morning? It was now sitting on his garden wall. He was sure in the same one. It had the same marking around its eyes. Shoo! Shoo! said Mr. Dursley loudly. The cat did move. It just gave him a stern look. Was this a normal cat behavior? Mr. Dursley wondered. Trying to pull himself together, he let himself into the house. He was still determined not to mention anything to his wife. Mrs. Dursley had a nice normal day. She told him over the dinner all about the Mrs. Next Door's problem with her daughter and how Dudley had learned a new word, shan't. Mr. Dursley tried to act normally. When Dudley had been put to bed, he went into the living room in time to catch the last report on the evening news. And finally, bird watchers everywhere have reported that the nations have been behaving very unusually today. All true, owls normally hunt at night and are hardly ever seen in daylight. There have been hundreds of sightings over these birds. Birds flying away in every direction since sunrise. Experts are unable to explain why the owls have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. The newsreader allowed himself a grin. Most mysterious and now over to Jim McGuffin with his weather. Going to be any more showers of owls tonight, Jim? Well, Ted, said the weatherman. I don't know about that, but it's the, oh, not only the owls that have been acting oddly today. You was as far from Kent, Yorkshire and Dundee have been phoning in to tell me that instead of rain, I promised yesterday there would be a downpour of shooting stars. Perhaps people have been celebrating bonfire Nile early. It's not until the week next week post, but I can promise a wet night tonight. Mr. Dursley sat frozen in his armchair. Shooting stars all over Britain, owls flying by daylight, mysterious people in the cloaks all over the place and a whisper and whisper about the potters. Mr. Dursley came into the living room carrying two cups of tea. It was no good. He would have said something to her. He cleared his throat nervously. Eric Petunia, dear, you haven't heard from your sister lately, have you? As he had expected, Mrs. Dursley looked shocked and angry. After all, they normally pretended she didn't have a sister. No, she said sharply. Why? Funny, funny stuff on the news, Mr. Dursley bumbled.
owls, shooting stars, and there were lots of funny looking people in the town today. So, well, I just thought maybe it was something to do with you know her lot. Mrs. Dursley slipped her tea through pursed lips. Mrs. Mr. Dursley wondered whether he dared tell he heard the name Potter. He, he decided he didn't tell. Instead, he asked Julie as he could. Their son would be about Dudley's age now, wouldn't he? I suppose so, said Mrs. Mrs. Dursley stiffly. What's his name again? Howard, isn't it? Very nasty common name, if you ask me. Oh, yes, said Mr. Dursley, his heart sinking horribly. Yes, I quite agree. She didn't say another word on the subject as they went upstairs to bed. While Mrs. Dursley was in bathroom, Mr. Dursley crept to the bedroom window and peered down into the front garden. The cat was still there. It was staring down private dive as to it had been waiting for something. Was he imagining things? Could all this have anything to do with the porters? If it did, it could have gone out got out that they were related to a pair of well he didn't think he could bear it the dursleys got into the bed mrs dursley fell asleep quickly but mr dursley lay awake turning all it all over in his mind his last comforting thought before he fell asleep was that even if the porters were involved there was no reason for them to come near him and mrs dursley the porters knew very well what he and Petunia thought about them and their kind. He couldn't see how he and Petunia could get mixed up in anything that was going on. He yawned and turned over. He couldn't affect them. How very wrong he was. Mr. Dursley might have been drifting into an uneasy sleep, but the cat on the wall outside was showing no sign of sleepiness. It was sitting as still as a statue, its eyes fixed unblinkingly on the corner of private drive. It didn't seem to much as quiver when a door slammed in the next street, nor when two owls swooped overhead. In fact, it was nearly midnight before the cab moved at all. A man appeared on the corner the cat had been watching. Appeared so suddenly, silently, he would have thought he had just popped up off the ground. The cat's tail switched and its eyes narrowed. Nothing like this man have ever seen in private tribe. He was tall, thin, and very old, judging by the silver of his hair and beard, which were both long enough to tuck into his belt. He was wearing long robes, a purple cloak, cloak which swept the ground, and high-heeled buckled boots. His eyes were blue, bright, bright and sparkling behind half-moon spectacles and his nose was very long and crooked, as true it had been broken at least twice. This man's name was Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore didn't seem to realize that he had just arrived in the street where everything from his name to the boots was unwelcome. He was busy rummaging his clothes, looking for something, but he didn't seemed to realize he was being watched because he looked up suddenly at the cat which was still staring at him from the other end of the street. For some reason, the sight of the cat seemed to amuse him. He chuckled and said, I should have known. He had found what he was looking for in his inside his pocket. It seemed to see a silver cigarette lighter. 
He flicked it open, held it up in the air and clicked it. The nearest street lamp went out with a pop. He clicked it again. The next lamp flickered into darkness. The twelve times he clicked the put outer, only the lights left in the whole street were two tiny pink pricks. In the distance which were the eyes of the cat watching them. If anyone looked out of their windows now, even the bead bead berry eyed Mrs. Tilsky, they wouldn't be able to see anything that was happening down on the pavement. Dumbledore slipped the put out of back inside his cloak and set off the street towards number four. Whereat down on the wall next to him he didn't look at her, but after a moment he spoke to it. Fancy seeing you the Professor Magnonical? He turned to a smile at the tabby, but it had gone. Instead, he was smiling at a rather severe-looking woman who was wearing square glasses, exactly the shape of the markings the cat had around its eyes. She too was wearing a cloak and emerald one. Her black eyes were drawn into a tight bun. She looked distinctly ruffled. How did you know it was at me? She asked. My dear professor, I have never seen a cat sit so stiffly. You'd be stiff if we'd been sitting on the brick all day, said Professor Magnonkin. All day, when you could have been celebrated, I must have passed a dozen of feasts, feasts and parties on my way up. Professor Magnonkin sniffed angrily. Oh yes, everyone's celebrating. All right, she said impatiently. You'd think they'd be more careful, but no, not even the muggles have noticed something's going on. It was on their news. She jerked her head back at the dusty, stark living room window. I heard it. Flock of owls, shooting stars. Well, they are not completely stupid. They were bound to notice something. Shooting stars went down and checked. I bet that was Daedalistical. He had never had much sense. You can't bear him, said Jumbledore gently. We have had precious little to celebrate for eleven years. I know that, said Professor McDonald irritably. But that's not reason to lose our head. People are now downright careless out on the streets in the broad daylight, not even dressed in muggle clothes, wrapping rumors. She threw a sharp sideways glance at Dumbledore here as though hoping he was going to tell her something, but he didn't. And so she went on. A finding would be of on the very day you know who seems to have disappeared at last. The muggers found about this of us all. I suppose he has really gone, Dumbledore. It certainly seems so, said Dumbledore. We have much to be thankful. Would you care for a sherbet lemon? A what? A sherbet melon? They are kind of muggle sweets I rather fond of. No, thank you, said Professor Magnonical coldly as through she didn't say this was a moment for sherbet lemons. As I say, even if you know who has gone, my dear professor, surely as a sensible person like yourself can call him by his name. All this you know nonsense for eleven years. I've been trying to persuade people to call him by his proper name. Voldemort. Professor Magnonical flinched, but Dumbledore who was up sticking two sherbet lemons seemed not to notice. It's all get too confusing if we say you know who. I've never seen any reason to fight in of saying Voldemort's name. I know you haven't, said Professor Magnonical, sounding half expirated, half admiring. But you're different. Everyone knows you're the only one. Oh, all right, Voldemort was fighting off. You flatter me, said 
Dumbledore calmly. Voldemort has powers that will never have. Only because you are too well normal to use them. It's lucky it's done. I haven't blushed so much since Madame Pompey told me she liked my new earmuffs. Professor McGonagall shot up a sharp look at Dumbledore. Professor McGonagall shot a sharp look at Dumbledore and said, The owls are nothing but rumors that are flying around. You are no water, everyone is saying, about why he's disappeared, about finally stopped him. I'd seen Professor McGonagall had reached the point she was most anxious to discuss the real reasons he had been waiting on a cold, hard wall all day, for neither as a cat, neither as a woman. She had fixed Dumbledore with such a piercing stare as she did now. It was plain whatever everyone was saying, she was not she was not going to believe it until Dumbledore her told her it was true. Dumbledore, however, was choosing another sherbet lemon and did not answer. What are they saying? She pressed her. Is that last night Voldemort turned up in Godric's hello? He went to find the potters. The rumor is Lily and James are uh, that they are dead. Professor McDonagall bowed his head. Professor McGonagall gasped. Lily and James, I can't believe. I didn't want to believe it. Oh, Albus. Dumbledore reached out and patted on his shoulder. I know, I know, he said heavily. Professor McGonagall's voice trembled as she went on. That's not all. They are saying he tried to kill the Potter's son, Harry, but he, he couldn't. He couldn't kill that little boy. No one knows why or how. But they are saying that even Harry couldn't kill Harry Potter. Voldemort's power somehow broke and that's why he's gone. Dumbledore nodded glumly. It's true, it's true, faltered uh, Professor McGonagall. After all, he's done. All the people he's killed. He, could, he couldn't just kill a little boy. It's just a sounding of all things to stop him. But how in the name of heaven did Harry survive? We can only guess, said Professor Dumbledore. We may never know. Professor McGonagall put out put out a lace handkerchief and dabbed at her eyes beneath her spectacles. Dumbledore gave a great sniff and he looked in the golden watch from his pocket and examined it. It was a very odd watch. It had twelve hands but no number. Instead, little planets which were moving around the edge. It must have been sent to Dumbledore too. He was he, because he put it back in pocket and said, Hagrid Slade, I suppose it was who he told you I'd be there, by the way. Yes, and I don't suppose tell me why all the places. I've come to bring Harry to his aunt and uncle. They are the only family left. Please. Family left up. You don't mean you can jump mean the people who live for, cried Professor Dumbledore, jumping at her feet and pointing at number four. Dumbledore, you can't. I've been watching them all day. You couldn't find two people who are less like us. And they've got this son. I saw him taking his mother all the way up the street screaming for sweets. Harry Potter, come and live here. It was best place for him, said Dumbledore firmly. His aunt and uncle will be able to explain everything to him when he's older. I've written them a letter. A letter, repeated Professor McGonagall faintly sitting back down on the wall. Really, Dumbledore, you think you can explain all this in a letter? The people will never understand him. He, he's be famous, a legend. 
I wouldn't be surprised if today it was known as Harry Potter Day in future. There will be books written about Harry. Every child in the world will know his name. Exactly, said Dumbledore, looking very seriously over the top of his half-moon glasses. It will be enough to turn any boy's head. Famous before he can walk and talk. Famous for something he won't even remember. Can't you see how much he'll better off he'll be growing up the way from all that until he's ready to take it? Professor McGonagall opened her mouth, changed her mind, swallowed, and then said, Yes, yes, you are right, of course. But how's the boy getting your Dumbledore? She eyed his cloak and suddenly, as thought he had be hiding Harry underneath it. Harry's bringing him. Hagrid's bringing him. You think it would be wise to trust Hagrid with such as important as this? I would trust Hagrid with my life, said Dumbledore. I'm not saying his heart isn't in the right place, said Professor McDonald grudgingly. But you can't pretend he's not careless. He does tend to. What was that? A low rumbling sound had broken the silence around them. It grew steadily louder as they looked up and down the street for some sign of headlight. It swelled to a roar as they both looked up at the sky as a huge motorbike fell out of the air and landed on the road in front of them. It was a motorbike. It, it was nothing to the man sitting astride it. He had almost looked twice as twice as tall as the normal man and at least twice twice five times as wide. He looked simply too big to be allowed and so wild long tangles of bushy black hair and beard hid most of his face. He had hand size of dustin dustbin lids and his feet in their leather boots were like baby dolphins. In his, in his vast muscular arms, he was holding a bundle of blankets. Hagrid said Dumbledore, sounding relieved. At last, where did you get that motorbike? Borrowed it, Professor Dumbledore, sir, said the giant, carefully, carefully climbing off of the motorbike as he spoke. Young Spirit's back lent it to me. I have caught him, sir. No problem for them. No, sir. House was almost destroyed. But I got him out of out all right before Muggles started swarming around. He fell asleep when he was flying over Bristol. Professor McNonagle and Professor Professor Dumbledore bent forward over the bundle of blankets. Inside just visible was a baby boy, fast asleep under a tuft of jet black hair over his forehead. They were curiously shaped cuts. Like a cut bolt of lightning. Is that fair? Whispered Professor McDonagall. Yes, he will have that scar forever. Couldn't you do something, Dumbledore? Even if I would, I wouldn't. Scars can some can come in useful. I one myself above the left knee, which is perfect map of the London underground. Well, give him your hybrid. You'd better get this over with. Professor Dumbledore took Harry in his arms and turned over Dursley's house. Could I say goodbye to him? said asked Agrid. He bent his great shaggy head over Harry and gave him a very scratchy whiskery kiss. Then suddenly Hagrid let out a howl like a wounded Shh! His professor McDonald said, You will wake up the muggles! Sorry, sobbed Hagrid. 
taking out large powdered handkerchief and burying his face in it. But I can't stand it. Lily and James stared and poor little Harry opted to the muggles. Yes, yes, it's all very sad, but get a grip on yourself, Hagrid, or we'll be found. Professor made no one to spring patting Harry gingerly on the arm as Dumbledore stepped over the low garden wall and walked to the front door. He laid Harry gently on the doorstep, looking a letter off the off his cloak, tucked it inside Harry's blankets, and then came back to the other two. For a full minute, the three of them stroked and looked at the little bundle. Hagrid's shoulder shook. Professor McMonagall blinked furiously and the twinkling light that usually shone from Dumbledore's eyes seemed to have gone out. Well, said Professor finally, that's that. We have no business staying here. We may as well go and join the celebration. Yeah, said Hagrid in a very muffled voice. I'd better get this bike away. Good night, Professor McMonagall. Professor Dumbledore, sir. Wiping his streaming eyes on his jacket sleeve, Harry Hagrid swung himself on the motorbike and kicked the engine into life. With a roar, it rose into the air and off into the night. I shall see you soon, I expect, Professor McGonagall, said Dumbledore, nodding to her. Professor McGonagall blew her nose in reply. Dumbledore turned and walked back down to the street. On the corner, he stopped and took out a silver put-outer. He clicked it once and twelve balls of the light sped back to their street lamp, so that private drive glowed suddenly orange and he could make out a tabby cat slinking under the corner of the another end of street. He could just see the bundle of blankets on the step of number four. Good luck, Harry, he murmured. He turned on his heel and with a switch of his cloak he was caught. A breeze ruffled the neat hedges of private drive, which lay silent and tiny under the inky sky. That's the very last place you would expecting attention things to happen. Harry Potter rolled over inside his blankets without waking up. One small hand closed on the letter beside him and he slept on. Not knowing he was special, not knowing he was famous, not knowing he would be woken in few hours time by Mrs. Dursley's scream as she opened the front door to put out the milk bottles. Not that he would spend the next few weeks being prodded and pinched by his own cousin Dudley. He couldn't know at this very moment people meeting in secret all over the country were holding up their glasses and saying in hushed voice, to Harry, the boy who lived. So friends, now we have covered the first chapter and the second chapter will be releasing soon. And thanks for your support. Bye.